Moreover, I saw under the sun in the place of justice that wickedness was there, and in the place of righteousness that wickedness was there. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time there for every purpose and for every work. I said in my heart, as for the sons of men, God tests them, so that they may see that they themselves are like animals. For that which happens to the sons of men happens to animals. Even one thing happens to them. As the one dies, so the other dies. Yes, they have all one breath, and man has no advantage over the animals, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from dust, and to dust they will turn again. Who knows the spirit of man, whether it goes upward, and the spirit of the animal, whether it goes downward to the earth? Therefore I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his portion. For who can bring him to see what will be after him? Then I returned and saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold the tears of those who were oppressed, and they had no comforter. And on the side of their oppressors there was power, but they had no comforter. Therefore I praise the dead who have been long dead more than the living who are yet alive. Yes, better than them both is him who has not yet been, who has not seen the evil work that is done under the sun. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 16 to chapter 4 verse 3. Welcome back to my Bible study podcast. I'm Brian, and we're picking back up with our concurrent study of the books of Philippians and Ecclesiastes. It's a study about finding our joy and our identity in Jesus and what he accomplished, instead of letting our focus linger towards the things of this world that are fleeting and temporary. And in Hebrew, that word is hevel, which describes those fleeting and temporary worldly things. They're like vapor or mist that vanish. Hence the series title, Worldly Hevel, Joy in Christ. Centering an identity focused on the hevel of this world, it can lead to frustration and disheartenment. Solomon will tell us today that if you take a worldly approach to life under the sun, then you will look around and you'll see wickedness, injustice, and death. And then you can feel that it's all meaningless, like that we are no different than animals and like our spiritual state doesn't matter. But that's an identity problem that stems from looking at the temporal rather than the eternal. Solomon, the author of Ecclesiastes, and Paul, the author of Philippians, want us to look past that. They want us to enjoy life, to do that work that God has given us to do in this life, but also to lean into God, knowing that he is the author of life itself. He's the one who made man in his image and who has created a path through his son Jesus for us to receive eternal life. It's about worship and obedience and joy through Christ while we walk in this world because we know that we were not meant for this world. This is exactly why Paul in the passage that we're going to study Thursday says from a Roman prison cell, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So I pray that this episode will help us see that humanity is in fact fallen, that there is real wickedness, oppression, injustice, and death in the world that we were going to see and that we should attempt to address. 
but I also pray that we will not become frustrated or fearful when our efforts to fix them are futile, because an identity founded in Jesus knows that life under the sun is not the end. Moreover, I saw under the sun in the place of justice that wickedness was there, and in the place of righteousness that wickedness was there. Ecclesiastes 3.16 So remember that the phrase under the sun is synonymous here with on earth. So, on earth, man has turned from justice to wickedness. Man has turned from righteousness to wickedness on earth. Basically, on earth, the things and the systems that were meant to produce justice and righteousness, we've turned to wickedness. We, as humanity as a whole, we've turned those institutions and those roles that we should use to create that into a source that creates wickedness instead and corruption instead. We see this all the time in the real world, right? Like things that are supposed to be good and upstanding, they get twisted and corrupted and they become a source of injustice. It's because of the people, not the institutions, that this happens. So the preacher in Ecclesiastes, he's making a blanket statement here. He's not saying that maybe in some far off place there's a small group of other people that are out there making things wicked. No, he's saying that humanity's natural bend is to pervert justice and righteousness. It stems from our pride, our quest for power, our ego, the fact that we naturally seek value and worth from attaining things under the sun instead of looking to God. Solomon sees that humanity is not on course to correct this on their own. So in the next verse, he turns to the one who can. He turns to God as the judge of the righteous and the wicked. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time there for every purpose and for every work. Ecclesiastes 3.17 So chapter 3 in Ecclesiastes, it started out with this poem about there being a time for everything. And here in verse 17, the thought line gets kind of completed with, there is a time for every purpose and for every work. And the completion of all of that work is that there is going to be a time when God will judge both the righteous and the wicked of this earth. There's no way around it and no escape from it. There is a time for life and death and a time of judgment. You can almost link everything Solomon explores in the book of Ecclesiastes back to this time. Why live a life of fear, obedience, and faithfulness to God? Because God will judge everyone. What will man be judged by if we cannot uphold righteousness and justice on our own? See, this is where Jesus steps in. God the Father sent God the Son, Jesus the Messiah, to live a perfect life of righteousness and justice and obedience. To live the life that we can't. Jesus lived the only life that did not deserve death, yet he died on the cross for our sins. But on the third day, he was resurrected, defeating death. Listen to the Christian Standard Bible translation of John 3, verses 16 through 19. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned 
because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. So for those who turn toward Jesus and put their faith in him, when God the Father, when he judges the Christian, instead of seeing our own wickedness, our own evil deeds, he sees Jesus' righteousness. That's what being washed clean by the blood of Jesus does for us. I said in my heart, as for the sons of men, God tests them, so that they may see that they themselves are like animals. For that which happens to the sons of men happens to animals. Even one thing happens to them. As the one dies, so the other dies. Yes, they have all one breath, and man has no advantage over the animals, for all is vanity. All go to one place, all are from dust, and all turn to dust again. Ecclesiastes 3, 18-20 So Solomon reminds the readers that the consequences of Adam and Eve's actions in the garden are that everyone is going to die. Everything dies. It is the reality that man and beast will one day return to the ground that our worldly bodies will expire. It is important to remember, as John MacArthur notes though, that Solomon isn't looking at eternal destinies, but rather at what all earthly flesh shares in common. So verse 20 continues this thought when it declares, all are from the dust and all turn to dust again. It's an echo of both Genesis 3.19, Genesis 3 right when Adam and Eve get kicked out of the garden, and of the book of Job. So in Genesis 3.19, When God kicks Adam and Eve out of the garden, he declares, By the sweat of your face you will eat bread until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And then in Job 34, when Elihu speaks of God's justice, he states that if he set his heart on himself, if he gathered to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish together, and man would turn again to dust. So everyone will experience a physical death. But those who have been made a new creation in Christ will also experience eternal life. So just listen to these verses about being raised to life through Christ and living that new life for Jesus. Romans 6 verses 4 and 5. We were buried therefore with him through baptism to death, that just like Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we also might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, we will also be part of his resurrection. Then Colossians 3 verses 1 and 2. If then you were raised together with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated on the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. Someone who places their identity in Christ seeks the things of Christ, meditates on the word of God, and finds joy in living a life focused upward at him even in the midst of hardship and wickedness. Who knows the spirit of man, whether it goes upward and the spirit of the animal, whether it goes downward to the earth? Therefore I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his works, for that is his portion. 
for who can bring him to see what will be after him? Ecclesiastes 3, verses 21 to 22. So if you look at things at face value, through a worldly-focused lens, then it looks like there is no difference between humanity and the rest of God's creation. But of course, if you're a Christian, you know it is deeper than that. We know that humans were created in God's image and that we will be judged on our faith to determine our spiritual, eternal state. So verse 21 isn't some unanswerable philosophical question. It's actually kind of a rhetorical question about God. Who knows the fate of men? Well, God knows. And beyond that even, Solomon is saying throughout Ecclesiastes that it's kind of vanity for us to obsess and to stress about answering that question at all. And that reality really plays directly into verse 22 about man rejoicing in his works. Yes, rejoice in the work that God has provided us in this world and enjoy what God has provisioned us with. But don't let those things become your identity. Don't let your work or your status or attaining wisdom or the blessings that have been provided by God become greater to you than God himself. Remember that God is our creator, our provider, and also our ultimate judge. And that should affect what we worship and who we worship. Then I returned and I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of those who were oppressed, and they had no comforter. And on the side of their oppressors there was power, but they had no comforter. Therefore I praise the dead who have been long dead more than the living who are yet alive. Yes, better than them both is him who has not yet been, who has not seen the evil work that is done under the sun. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verses 1 through 3. So this is where Solomon gets into some really hard subjects, as if he hasn't already covered enough of them. There will be oppressors. There will be prideful, power-hungry people who raise themselves up at the expense of others. There will be injustices by individual people and entire groups of them. And that there will be some people who feel so defeated that they would rather not have existed at all. Those are realities that stem from humanity making wickedness out of justice and righteousness. As a Christian, we cannot deny those, and we cannot turn a blind eye toward them. But as a Christian, we can share the good news that this isn't the end of the story. The oppressed might not have anyone to comfort them right now, to wipe away their tears here on earth. But that doesn't mean suffering and oppression and injustice are an eternal state. Revelation 21 declares that when the new heavens and the new earth arrive, God himself will wipe away from the people every tear from the believer's eyes. The death will be no more. Neither will there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. That the first things will have passed away. So in the end, Solomon points us to God because God becomes the comforter. God is the one who will wipe away the tears. God is the one who removes the oppressor, who breaks those shackles. It might not be in this life, but for eternity, God will provide. Solomon surmises that an identity wrapped up in this world is frustrating, that we will experience pain and suffering, that we will see wickedness around us, 
but that we should rejoice in the life that we've been given instead of desiring death more than life. Now listen to the first part of the passage for Thursday from Philippians 1, verses 21 and 23. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will bring fruit from my work. Yet I don't know what I will choose, but I am in a dilemma between the two, having the desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. So Solomon and Paul, they're ultimately going to echo the same sentiments. Life in this world is broken, and it can feel hard, and it can oppress us. Second, that eternity with Jesus will be awesome. It is worth desiring and yearning for. And we might have a tendency to desire one over the other. Paul even says that. He's struggling with that reality. But both also say that we are called to focus on producing fruit through our work in this life. And what is that fruit? It's glorifying God and exalting Jesus' name. So we live in a post-Genesis 3 world, and the result of living in a fallen world is death and humanity's perversion of justice. But for the follower of Jesus, that is not the end. That is not the hopeless conclusion of the Christian's life. Fear God. Seek a life of obedience toward Him. Desire justice and righteousness. Rejoice in your work. Live for Christ. Share the good news of your salvation. Remember that you will be judged according to the completed work of Christ on the cross, and that while we might live in this world, we were never meant for this world. That is the Christian's conclusion. I should live a fruitful life. I should find joy in that life. And I should seek to lean into God during that life. Because that's what Christ has called me to do. So thanks for listening. Unless otherwise noted, all Bible verses are from the World English Bible Translation, which is in the public domain. Next episode, we will dive into that famous passage from Paul, starting with Philippians 1.21. Until next time, though, I love y'all. Thank you.